The Tea with Brie podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start with my guest's bio, an intro to how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. This week, I'm joined by my guest, Jane Claire Harvey. Jane Claire makes music in Austin, Texas. Her sound pulls influences from Bjork, Solange, and Frank Ocean. Her lyrics are informed by living in the South, politics, cellulite, and being a bad woman. Since putting out her first four-track EP, Sour Grapefruit, in 2019, she has played South by Southwest in Austin. Her work has also been profiled in publications like Texas Monthly and Forbes. Outside of making music, Jane Clare is known as a creative producer and activist. She is the founding director of Boss BGTX, a nonprofit amplifying women and non-binary creatives, entrepreneurs, and community leaders. And she actually designs festivals, conferences, and experiences for other human beings. Hi, Jane. Hi. It's so interesting to have someone read your bio to you. <laughs> I know. It's like, uh, it's very heavy. I totally get that. But hey, out here accomplishing all the things. We got to talk about it. Yeah, for sure. I am so glad to be sharing this virtual podcast space with you today. I have been a fan of yours for since I moved here in 2016. And then we like officially met in 2018 at Alicia's birthday. And like I fangirled about you for a couple hours. It was great. Um, <laughs> you, were, you were one of the, the top 10 like women I wanted to be friends with when I first moved here. And so it's just interesting how like all that has has worked out because it, it's it's meant so much to me. I think Bob is one of the first events I attended by myself when I moved to Austin and just like the community that you and your team created for women and non-binary folks is just life-changing so I'm I'm I'm, a, I'm happy to be a friend and and very proud that I started out as a fan so <laughs> here we are well I am honored um I think our team would be honored too <laughs> to hear like that it's been that the work we do has been like part of like your journey in Austin because I think that that is a huge part of just why we do what we do is that like where like where do we go when we start you know like anything whether it's like a creative project or like being in community or even just like trying to be better like better people better like professionals whatever that looks like and so super stoked to be part of your journey and um I think one moment for me that stands out about us meeting was um 
I think it was for the I Live Here, I Give Here workshop and like connecting with you on Twitter afterward and then talking on Instagram and then being like, oh my gosh, like Bree's really cool and doing so much. And um, I think that's just a really fun part of like the work that we do too, is that like you're just kind of constantly discovering really amazing people. And like, you're one of those people. And now we, we've get we've gotten to like see each other do different things over the years. And um, I don't know, it's awesome to like see the people that you admire and respect, like win. Like, I'm here for it. Absolutely. <laughs> and like the fact that we can all win, I think, you know, as women specifically, and then like women living in Austin, like there's so many great people doing work here. And I, and I find myself like rooting for everyone like, oh my gosh, you're doing great. Or like, you got this, like just start it. Even if it looks like crap, just started like people are so afraid to fail and I have found such joy in failure I mean when I first started doing this I was like we'll see what happens and you know <laughs> now here we are and so yeah I mean I I completely agree and, and being able to to cheer on people who you're, you just admire and then get to meet them and you know the whole thing like don't meet your heroes I'm like no maybe you should I mean meet the people you admire for sure it's it's life-changing well I think what's really cool um Solange tweeted this so I'm not going to take credit for it at all <laughs> but Solange tweeted this thing like it must have been like in 2017, 2016, she was like, um, give your, like, give your friends awards, like be your own awards ceremony, be your mm. own, like, like you don't have to like validate your friends, like, like make your friends your heroes and like surround yourself with people that you're like really inspired by. And I think that's like a whole life, like vision board right there. Like, and there's something really cool, I think about not like idolizing like celebrities or like people that feel really removed from your own life, but like writing for the people in your community and around you. Like, I just love that. And I think that there's so much, I don't know, it's really cool because you you get to intimately like know and understand the world. I think when you like actively connect with, like if your heroes are the people around you, like you, you're connected to something. I don't know. It's really cool. Um, I'm all about like local heroes and shit. Well, oh, I, I don't know if I can cuss on this. But. Oh, absolutely. Please. God, <laughs> yes. I welcome it. But like you saying that like really brings me like into our topic. So today you want to talk about like social media weirdness, comparison culture, and it's it's a thing I've been really dealing with this past month. I mean, I've done a, a number of um, large panels on YouTube. I recently, I've been friends with Danielle Ackles, who's an actress, and her husband plays on Supernatural, um, which is a show that's been on for like 30 years at this point. Um, so mm -hmm. I'm familiar. Um, <laughs> I'm familiar. <laughs> so uh, him and his co uh his coworker, co-actor Misha, they gave up their space last month and invited four Black activists, including myself, to do a panel around equality and injustice about Black Lives Matter. And then we did a second one, part two of the conversation Friday. And so like in the last month, my Instagram following has more than doubled. And so like for me, that's like, I know. Ooh, I might have to go look. <laughs> so when I, before, before, the, before we did the panel, I was sitting around like 3,000 and now I'm almost, um, I'm around, I'm like at six. 6,300 and something, I think, right now, which is Oof. wild because, like, you know, I have been doing work in, in Austin for four years now, but, you know, really, I didn't, I think you were, possibly was one of the first public speaking events I did as, like, an activist and public speaker when I did State of the Uterus back in 2019. It was, like, the first big speaking engagement I did, and I was doing a couple of panels and podcasts after that, but even just that, like, I've been talking to a lot of people and getting a lot of messages, and like you were saying, like, that whole like Instagram influencer, social media person, like the, I never want people to feel like I am 
removed or that, you know, like you're talking about active connection. Like I want people to reach out to me and let me know how I can lend my voice to a movement or, you know, help them take up space if they want to come on this show and have conversations. So, you know, that's one of the big things for me because I feel like as a person who is an activist, who has this show, who is a creative, who has a lot of connections, especially here in Austin, just that whole conversation around like that level of quote unquote celebrity, even if it's just like on a local level, how people get so weird around that and, you know, put so much clout and power into like the number of influences you have. And like, even for me, like I don't, I don't like the word influencer, right? Like I feel like it's like this really like fluff word to be like, you just have a lot of people who follow you. But for me, I'm like, how do, how are you literally causing change? How are you making, how, what, what is the influence you're having? And so like with me on mine, like I, on my social media, I'm very big about talking about the the work that I'm connected to from doing public speaking to, you know, nonprofits that sit on the board on to, you know, really using the space to amplify different voices and, and, you know, really center activism, but then also like telling people when I fail. Like I think people think social media is just about the highlight reel. And I'm like, no, I want you to know when I am doing badly, when I am having really tough times and, you know, and not just being like, well, Brie has it together all the time. Like, no, I'm human. And I'm willing to get in that discomfort. And, you know, I was telling a friend on the phone, like I gave up comparing myself to people a long time ago. I mean, we all know like comparison is the thief of joy. So if we're constantly seeing what other people are doing and how we aren't doing well, and in comparison to them, it's going to make us be that much more worse to ourselves. And we're already dealing with so much. And so when you brought this topic to me, I was like, oh, finally, (laughs) someone I can have this conversation (laughs) with, because I feel like you, you get it. We've had phone calls about this. So yeah, that's my tangent to begin. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think there's a lot there. So I'll pull out a couple of things you said that I I think are really pervasive right now and cut us off from like being human, which I think, I do think social media has, a, it can cut us off from like doing the human ass work of being human. So like one is like this concept of your impact being directly related to the number of followers that you have online or like the amount of visibility that you have, that like those things are, are the same almost. Um, I think that's like a really harmful narrative that is really, that is pervasive in our communities and it, it equates visibility and being seen with, with doing work and making an impact. Um, And then I think the second is like, like I can only imagine the last couple of weeks have been so who have been so heavy for me for so many personal reasons, professional reasons. And then you've got the community context that I'm sure you're navigating as a black woman in Austin, a black queer woman in Austin. It's pride month. It's, it's also the biggest, in my opinion, political awakening I have ever seen the city of Austin have in my 10 years working here around race, um, the city's history in relation to that racism. And so I'm sure just with having your following double in the last couple of weeks, I mean, there's a, there's a vulnerability that comes with that visibility. There's, I'm sure you, you felt like, like there's confusion that comes along with that. Like, what's the story I'm telling? What, like, what work am I doing? How do I share myself? I don't know. There's so much there. So like those two things, what you just shared really stick out to me. Just like the first part that like, we cannot I think as human beings equate people's worth, impact, 
or like not do the not do the real thing of questioning people and asking about their politics and 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 doing that work of critique and communication and collaboration just because someone has a big following like celebrity does not equal morality a celebrity does not equal like visibility does not equal like morality or or even um or even like uh representation right like you can be super visible and and represent something that that the community doesn't want and um i think that is so tough um in the culture right now where we're not physically around one another because it kind of feels like social media is all we have so it also feels like a catch 22, you know, like, like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I struggle. I struggle for sure with just like the nuances of like bringing my full self into the online space and then simultaneously recognizing that like that sometimes can lead to a lack of safety and that like um, women and women of color femmes, um, queer femmes um, are really the target of a lot of abuse online too. So like there's a risk in putting ourselves out there. Like there's just a lot, you know, um, so I just took a peek at your page because um, I hadn't even I hadn't even tracked that. I haven't been super active um, on my personal Instagram as of late. And that's wild. I can't even imagine what that's been like having so many more people's eyes on your work in a matter of weeks in such a tense time. I mean, how are you feeling about that? I'd, I'd really love to know. Yeah. Um, before I answer that, I want to quickly backtrack <laughs> to the to the influencing. Like, you know, we have a number of people here in Austin who have really large, we, we have a lot of influencers, air quotes, who live in Austin. And, you know, I've been hearing a lot of conversations around how, let me back up. I feel as though, like you're saying, just because you have a lot of people following you does not equate that you are having an influence. Like, mm. I think about the number of queer people in Austin who have large Instagram followings who I never see at anything queer related unless like they get personally invited or you know who for all I know don't donate or volunteer or do any of these things and not saying like, like that's the only way you can be influential but you know for me it's been that thing of like you know we all these people have these platforms out here but what are you doing with it like if you're not talking about important things and you're just posting selfies which obviously representation matters but my other thing is like what is what is the impact of your influence? What are you doing with this space you have created with the number of people you can reach to change things? I mean, and no shade. I mean, some people like Instagram is their is their how they make their income and that's why they have these these large followings. And you know, I'm not I'm not saying that it's not valid to how you live your life if that if that's how you get a paycheck, but I'm just saying like with me and you know, with the people who are following me now, I've been way more vocal in my activist realms, which I feel like I have been forever, but like now I feel like, okay, now I have this space where more people are paying attention. I mean, I just participated in Austin month, uh, nope, Aust Austin Women's Magazine did a social media um, share the mic campaign, like the national one mm -hmm. was, but they paired um, white women in Austin with black women in Austin. So I'm really good friends with Jen Pedalecki, who is an actor, actress and blogger here in Austin. And so I took over her Instagram and her Instagram has over a million followers. And so just sitting there and, you know, taking questions from people because, you know, 90% of her followers are white women. Um, 
white people period, but then also white women and just the amount of anxiety and vulnerability that it took. And it was was also exhausting. Like I went and took a nap after, like I took over her Instagram at 11 AM, 10, 11 and gave it back to her like 435. Like I just, I'm, I think this is all I needed today. I posted a couple of things. I did a couple of stories, shared some things, did an IGTV live. And I was like, it was just exhausting because like just the amount of like comments and responses and questions that you get that I got during that time were great questions, and 99% of them were people were supportive and responsive and really great. But then that 1% of like terrible people on her feed uh-huh. being like, you know, you were wrong and this is wrong. And, and you know, I, I had misspoke on, on the IGTV I did. And so a gentleman who was a little crass um, said, you know, get your facts straight, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh my God, thank you for pointing this out. I didn't misspeak. I was super nervous. Like, like Michelle Obama says, when they go low, we go high. Like I could have sat there and like got angry about it. I'm like, no, like I messed up. I'm woman enough to admit it. This is what I actually meant. Like I made a correction when I posted the IGTV and like into the feed being like, at this point I said Camden, New Jersey, defunded the police but they actually dismantled it and so I like I I owned it and so like with me it was it's been really great to talk to people but also like people start asking you for a lot and I'm just like this already exists either in a highlight or you can visit my website and that's literally like my default answer now is like it already exists somewhere but also like don't continue to ask black people to do the emotional labor when you can like I can google you can google if you can find a coffee shop you can find how to be anti-racist um (laughs) Yeah, that's how I feel. Like everyone's out here finding local coffee shops or where to watch the bats fly in Austin. You can find a book. Like there's just, it's just, for me, it's just been, especially doing this work now, like how many white people want me to validate their sadness. And I've said it here on the show before, but like black people don't have space to, to, for you to virtually like dump your emotions on our front lawn and leave us to clean it up, clean them up because we are still processing all of our centuries of trauma, trying to work through this, knowing that tomorrow could be literally anybody in our family who gets killed. Like there's so many things and so many conversations I've been able to have with white people now. I mean, I wrote a whole blog post of like what I want white allies and non-black POC allies to do. It's like, for me, it's been a lot of really finding my voice again. And for me, learning how to not apologize and not be palatable and not, you know, be worrying so much about, you know, am I being too controversial? I'm like, no, this is who I am. If you don't like it, you are welcome to leave. Like, (laughs) if you don't like my Instagram, you know, there's the door. You don't have to follow me. And going from there, but then also like setting that boundary, like you're saying, like there's so much risk in being this person, people feeling like they know you people feeling like mm-hmm. you know they they just have such access to you all the time and, and finding mm-hmm. that balance of you don't have to respond to everything you don't have to give people the time of day you don't have to post everything which is a conversation mm-hmm. I've been having with a friend I'm like you know you can do stuff and not post it I do it all the time <laughs> like we don't we don't you know the people who made the joke of if I don't post it I went to the gym did I actually go and I'm like it's sad that we need people to know what we are doing every single moment of the day and I'm very much like there I will not post for weeks and I'm just like I don't care <laughs> like it's it's my space and I, and I think people are really really learning that but yeah it's, it's been interesting um I want to talk to you to something you just said um because I think it has to do with some of the what I was talking about earlier like like the boundary setting that's really necessary with social media and I think it's just as important for those of us who like create things that get consumed online, uh, whether that's like 
sharing our identities and experiences or like a podcast or like, you know, like what we're doing at Basso's ATX, which is oftentimes like trying to use digital spaces to get people to like be in person with each other and like to like move from like a space of like watching to like being a part of a community and like being active in that community. And I think like one thing I have realized over the years is like, it's not just about like, you have to set boundaries for yourself, right? Like, here's what I feel good about sharing. Cause when you don't have those, you put things out there that you don't want to share. And then people, people tear them apart and it's like so hurtful, you know, you're like, that's something I shared thinking it was like going to help people or whatever. And then there's the flip side of that where I've, re- I've like had to really remind myself, like, not only do I have to set boundaries for me, but I, I need the people who engage with me online to respect my boundaries. And I, I can tell someone like, I'm open to feedback, which I love what you said, like, you know, how like that person corrected you or whatever, and was kind of rude about it. And you were like, okay, thanks for the feedback. That's awesome. Like sometimes feedback is delivered in really respected, like respectful ways, but sometimes it's not. And that doesn't make it bad feedback. It's still feedback. But I think there's also like that line you have to acknowledge that like there's a point where it goes from feedback to like an actual culture of like disrespect, abuse, and harm. And like those lines, like you kind of have to draw them for yourself. And that's such hard work. And like there's a lot of trial and error that can happen in that. And but I love that like you're you've already kind of landed on like I think it just is. It's, t- it's something I'm st- I struggle with still is like finding that like line and being like okay I can like these are the things that are like completely no goes for me you cannot treat me like this in this space and like really being able to, st- to sit in your convictions of why and like I just say it's hard to find that language for ourselves especially as women especially as femmes like it's just hard because people don't really care about what we want or what our boundaries are all of the time well, we're taught to um, make people comfortable right like you're taught like mm-hmm. how to be like a good woman or like a good person is like to be selfless and just keep giving of yourself and make other people's people comfortable and to smile and you know that whole narrative of like the only way to be a palatable woman is if you kind of shrink yourself and I think like you're saying we're in this really big time of women being like no we're sick of and tired of that like we're sick of making people comfortable like like when you you know, you and your and your bio saying like you're a bad woman is such an interesting thing because <laughs> our whole lives were taught how to be good and like being bad is like, oh my God, she's so this and so that. And so yeah, like setting boundaries is not a bad thing. Taking care of yourself is not a bad thing. Not listening, not turning on comments, not being, you know, um, accessible all the time is fine. And I, I was talking to a friend early on the phone about how like a lot of people have this narrative around me that I am constantly busy and so they just don't even bother trying to hang out with me I'm like that's on you like if you yeah and that's actually really harmful like to you like because that means someone's engaging with an idea of you and not with like you you know yeah it's like this this step removed I'm like I never want to be inaccessible I'm just and and I was telling them like I'm very good at being like you know I'm busy today but what about next week like I am very good on like saying not now but instead how about a different time and I'm like for the people who like think I'm so on a, and like 
inaccessible, unapproachable, that's on you. Like my godfather taught me really early, like that's your shit. Like that has nothing to do with me. And I, you know, scheduling for this podcast, for example, people are like, oh my gosh, like you're so booked up. And I'm like, no, like I have scheduled into my time, time to rest, time to not answer emails, time to like just watch TV and have not have my phone. And, you know, I think a lot of people laugh at like scheduled, relax, like scheduled time to relax, but it's so important, especially now that we're in quarantine, when we're expected to like be on Zoom calls for work or, you know, mm-hmm. still have all these phone calls and keep connections. I'm like, so I like will schedule personal time. And so I'm like, if that comes off as like me being quote unquote too busy, that's on you. Like I am very accessible and big, but I'm also like very adamant on on making time for myself and not feeling like I have to be a good woman, air quotes, and, and, and just kill myself to make other people happy. Yeah. And I mean, the reason that I put bad woman in my bio is because I, I mean, I come from such a, like a really sexist small town where gender roles are like super solidified and like, um, honestly just cause a lot of confusion because if, if anything doesn't go according to like the pre-prescribed, like, gender expectation people don't know what to do and there's a ton of conflict and like like stuff starts to unravel like you know whether it's like the like what any number of things like it just has a really weird effect and so I just kind of I just gave up on on being good because the other aspect of that too is that like I also think that I think that gender roles in general and like like there should be no good or bad woman essentially the fact that there is even like when you think of the word woman that there is even like a prescribed set of like niceties and femininities assigned to that word like I think I've just committed to the fact that I just want to be bad at whatever that word means to you because I don't want to be held to any of those expectations I I I identify fully with being a woman. It, I mean, the way I've been treated for my gender and my sex ha- is a huge part of of my life and my lens, right? So I'm I I'm I'm a proud I'm proud to be a woman, but at the same time I'm really proud to be a bad one in whatever way you're looking at me to be one because right. yeah, it's just you know, and who is who is like who is like womanness afforded to like, like when is womanness called upon? Like, I think, um, a lot of the women in my life, their like their womanness is invoked when they're expected to like make sense of someone else's pain or provide caretaking or like literally like be like the the blood and the ground and the soil that other people c- come out of. And um, yeah, I think I'm just like I'm just gonna be bad at all of it, and that's okay. And I can rewrite that word for me and and. Um, acknowledge like my lens of womanhood but like simultaneously be like yeah I if my dad calls me a bad woman I'm chill with it we have completely different concepts of life and ideologies and like I'm glad to be called a bad woman by someone like that so I don't know it's just I and I but I think like that same lens is something I'm having to like apply online and in social media is like let go of like who I take feedback from and like who I let like who I give my energy to. 
I've been really dealing with the the energy of like a woman's worth since turning 30 because you hear all these things of like these women who are like, I didn't become a woman, a woman until I was married or became a mother. And I'm like, that really like negates the experience of women who can't have children or who aren't married or never want to do either of those two. And so, you know, I decided not to date this year and a lot of people are like, up in arms about it. I'm like, no, I've, I took the time to really sit with myself this year, ask myself what I was looking for, what what abandonment issues did I have? I did a whole podcast episode about abandonment. So y'all go listen to that to hear about the shit I've dealt with. Um, <laughs> but I, I literally sat with that this year. I was like, okay, why have I, what what are, what are the, the habits that I've been repeating in my dating? Um, mm. and, and, you know, having conversation with women who like don't know themselves outside of being in a relationship and how they wish they could know themselves outside of that and how much onus of their own worth they put into the relationship with others and so with me I sat with like who am I not regardless of who I'm relationally tied to so who am I as a person which is a question we don't ever ask ourselves because we automatically go well I'm a good friend I'm a good partner I'm a good co-worker okay but take all like if you knew no one in this world who are you and that is such a hard Mm. question for people to sit with and not like the things you do but who are you like, what are your interests? What do you like and don't like? And it's a, a question a lot of women I've found don't ask themselves because we are expected to follow this specific societal timeline of like doing these things up to a certain point and then getting married and having a family and all these things. And I'm like, but I don't think I want that. Like, I, I have always seen myself as being a parent in some way, shape or form, through most likely do, through adoption. And so I was sitting with that question back in January. I was like, why do I, why, what am I looking for when I'm dating? And, you know, there's a lot of little girls who think of like getting married and their wedding day and all these things. But I have never seen myself as someone's long-term partner, like Mm. never saw myself getting married. And and I didn't realize that until like I really took myself out. I was like, what are these societal like pressures I'm applying to myself? Because I turned 30 and I was like, oh my God, I need to like be married. I'm like, but is that me? Or is that what society is telling me is a quote unquote good woman? And I was like, no, that's not you know, that's not a thing I subscribe to. Like I have, I'm constantly told that people are so intimidated at the thought of dating me. And I am exhausted with that narrative of, oh yeah, because I mm. do so much, people who want to be my partner don't know how they would fit into my life. It makes them really question everything that they are doing. If they're not on my quote unquote level, like, you know, I told the story before, but I took a girl on a second date to a gala. Her, our first date, she took me to a bar. Our second date, I took her to a gala. And I, I told, I told everyone, like, I was Oprah-ing the room. Like, I knew people there. So I was walking around being baby Oprah, as I call myself, and just really, like, connecting <laughs> with the people who I knew, making sure, like, she had someone to talk to. Like, she wasn't ever alone. Like, I, I made sure, like, there was, like, some built-in safety nets for small talk, what have you, people that were sitting at a table. And so, you know, the date ended. She was like, I had so much fun. I just don't fit into your world. And I was like, okay, not going to fight you on it. I'm not going to do less to make you feel comfortable, like, you know, outside of me, like doing, doing less. And, you know, I had a friend who asked me that, like, do you think like you would find a partner faster? Like if you did less? And I was like, yeah, but why do I have to do less to make myself quote unquote worthy of someone's love? Why do I have to shrink myself to make other people comfortable? It is never a thing we would tell a man to do, to do less, Mm -hmm. to find a woman. We would just expect her to kind of fit in where, you know, where she could. I'm like, so (laughs) I'm really following that, that space of just like, 
no, I'm out here killing it. I'm not going to apologize for it. And if you're uncomfortable, that is your thing to work out amongst yourself. But it's not like something I'm willing to to change, especially like currently what I, everything, all the work that I'm doing. And, you know, if and when I become a mom, if I adopt a baby or have a baby, I'll just strap that kid to me and we'll just be on our way. Or like, you know, take my adoptive kid and we just out here walking and doing protests. Like there are so many different ways to be a valuable person that does, especially a woman, you don't have to do these things in order to be a good woman to be, you know, there's just, yeah, for me, it's just been that societal pressure of like, the expectation that we have to give up ourselves in order to make other people feel better. Who? Yeah. Well, one kudos to you for like committing to not dating and unpacking all of that and how it makes you feel because I, I think that's really difficult work. Um, so hell yeah, you do it. Um, and then I think the second thing that I guess I'd say to all that is like, I do find it very interesting and I think this ties back to some of the conversations we're having about visibility too, is that like some, I do think it's very weird when a partner wants you to be invisible, like, or when a friend wants you to be in, like, I, I mean, I think this is any relationship where your visibility makes the other people in your life uncomfortable or make them feel like they don't fit in it. And I, I think that I think there's some like really helpful feedback around that. Like, I think it is always possible. Like, I think for me, one thing I've had to learn is like, I need to honor my, the, I need to honor the stories and the spaces and the lives of those around me. And what I mean by that is like honoring other realities, right? Like whether that's taking feedback from someone um, or really listening when someone disagrees with me, any number of things that looks like in interpersonal relationships, like you have to honor other people's stories and realities. But I think what's really interesting when you're, when you're trying to do big work and maybe there's visibility tied to that, there's visibility tied to that work, or, or even if you're just like vocal about what you believe and what you stand for and like you maybe don't draw those lines, but like you're clear, right? Like there is no room for ambigu ambiguity. Like you're not skirting around it. You're saying like, okay, this is what I'm doing. I think that that like I think it's really weird when like people that we love and or people we're trying to love don't don't can't like acknowledge that reality because it's perceived as a threat to their own or that it's gonna like multiple realities and truths can't exist at once and I I've just I think I've realized that the more and more I heal and the more and more I unlearn things and like really challenge myself to like think critically about my work and what I do is that like the best thing we can do in relationships and in communication with each other is like actively listen and like really get to know one another. And if you're doing that, I do think it weeds out all the people in your life that don't want to do that in return because you just, there is no room because like you're operating in a completely different lens of like what the relationship even is or how life works. And I don't know, it's so weird to see that play out online because like I'll have like really fruitful, meaningful connections that have come from online spaces. But then digitally, I've also like, I was harassed for like nine months in 2018. And like, I've been in therapy for six months, finally like unpacking that and figuring out how it's affected me socially and like there's just ugh, there's the good and the bad and there's like all these things that come along with like really stepping into who you are like it it does scare people it does intimidate partners and friends and I don't know it draws some lines being who you want to be in life and um 
I think there's a real risk and a real power and a real beauty and just like unabashedly and confidently stepping into that. So like, dude, power to you over the last couple of weeks, just with taking all these speaking gigs on and putting your your face and your your words and your life out there for people to dissect. Um, that's That takes a lot of confidence. Um, it does. I, I've been telling people and kind of like speaking to what you're saying now, like I, I think where I'm being led to now is because I've done a lot of that self-work. Like I think mm-hmm. if I would have been given this space and opportunities years ago, it would have been... I wouldn't know how to handle it now. I think now that I am in a place of having done public speaking for so long and activism and, you know, coming out when I wanted to and, you know, really being able to write my own story and really learning who I am and accepting myself, loving and liking myself, which are such really huge, important things. And, you know, I started therapy when I was 15. So I always say like, I'm a therapist dream. Like I will do the work. (laughs) I will answer the questions. I'm really, you know, Brene Brown's one of my heroes. I'm really big. Big, big into vulnerability and how important it is, which is why I wanted to start this show and just have conversations and, you know, give up some of that space that I have for others to come in and have conversations and, and get this space. But yeah, just very, very big on that. Well, I think that is a beautiful place to start wrapping up. I thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. I mean, we could talk for days about this stuff, but mm-hmm. um, As you know, I'll link everything in the show notes, but I do like to ask one last question, a sort of palate cleanser, leaving us on a high note. And the question is, what is the best advice you were ever given or what's a piece of advice you would give to your younger self? Yeah. So the best advice I was ever given, and I still learn every year, I feel like I learn that advice in a different lens. So I used to follow around this professor on UT campus um, named Professor Bird. And now that I'm older, I realized that maybe he wasn't like the biggest, like, like he's not, I just like had this like affinity for him. He was like a granddad that had been working there for 40 something years. And he was like really ornery and had a completely different politic than me. But he was, he like did everything the hard way. Like that was like his thing is like everything was so much harder than it had to be. He refused to use elevators. He refused to use buses. Like he had all these things that made his life really, really hard. Right. And he did it on purpose. And like one day um, I was taking his like his communications class and I was like, why, like, why do you refuse to take elevators? Like you're 83. (laughs) And he was like, I don't trust people who don't want to take the stairs. And I was kind of like taken aback by that. And even though there's a lot about like that person, like there's a lot about Professor Bird that like, that doesn't really relate to me. He was kind of like a, he's just an interesting guy and not, not like particularly my cup of tea always, but that, that has really stuck with me the more and more I do life is like people who are really interested in like doing the work and like, you're going to see them on the stairs with you, you know, like you're going to see them there. They're going to be there. And those are the people you should trust. Like it, I've learned that more and more each and every year, just that like the people who are willing to do the hard conversations and willing to like really experiment and try things and like test themselves and, and think critically, like, you can't bypass that and you're going to see those people and you're, and you're like, you know, you're like, you're going to, you're going to meet eyes at some point. And um, those are the people you should trust. And like, that's just something I come back to like every year in a new way. It's I'm like, dang, that is like just so true. Like if something seems too good to be true or too easy, it probably is. 
Um, and that's just something I really hold dear to me. That's the best advice I've ever received. And it came from such an, like an unlikely <laughs> source in school. Um, but yeah. I love that. Trust the people who take the stairs. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's it for this week's episode of The Tea with Brie. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Tea with Brie. Send me an email at theteawithbrie at gmail.com and visit the website, theteawithbreepodcast.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. A special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music, and I will talk to y'all later this week. Bye. Bye.